Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this teaching class on Mark chapter 5. It's part of a series for the Thames Valley Churches of Christ in January, February 2022, where we're diving deep into the Gospel of Mark. And we're up to chapter 5 today, and I pray and hope that we can learn some things that will be uh, useful to us, especially in our local areas. So these classes are designed to be used primarily in our family groups, our life groups, whatever your smaller group is. So if I could make a suggestion is to every member of your group, read Mark chapter 5, watch the video, and then come together to discuss some of the things I'll raise from the chapter and some of the questions I'll pose. You can use it how you like, but that would be, uh, I think, a, a good way to do it. So where are we now in Mark chapter 5? We've got some amazing stories. We've got the restoration of the demon-possessed man here in chapter 5, verses 1 down to verse 20, and then in verse 21 to 43 we see uh, a sandwiched story of the 12 year old girl and the woman who'd been suffering from bleeding for 12 years and we are going to learn some interesting things i think about jesus about his priorities and about how he views us and perhaps how we view other people a lot in here about fear about fear and faith and i would say also reassurance so let's dig in First of all, the restoration of the demon-possessed man. I'm not going to go through the whole story now. Hopefully you'll have read that. But a man is in the tombs. He's been chained. Uh, he comes to Jesus. He is afraid of Jesus, it seems, in some way. What do, you, what do you want with me? Don't torture me, son of the most high God. Jesus asks him his name, Legion. So that's thousands of demons or in some, some sort of a way, the power of a thousands or, or perhaps something like that. And they ask to go into the pigs. Jesus says, okay, they go into the pigs. They go into the water. They drown, 2,000 of them. People tending the pigs run off, report it. A big crowd comes and says, please leave now. And the man begs to go with Jesus. He says, no, go and tell everybody what has happened here. And all the people he tells are amazed. So the region of the Gerasenes mentioned here was predominantly a non-Jewish area. The presence of the pigs is another indication that's the case. And the term the man uses, the most high God, is not something a Jew would use. So why is what is this revealing? I think it's revealing that Jesus is interested in Gentiles, not just Jewish people. He's interested in you and me, all kinds of people. He's interested in the wrong people in the wrong place. Uh, this man lives in the tombs, an unclean place. He's an unclean person because of demons. He's in an unclean area with the Gentiles, especially so because of the pigs. Jesus makes wrong places into right places. Where he goes, everything changes. And that's something for us as Christians to bear in mind. In a sense, there are no wrong places for Christians to be. Now, sometimes there are unwise places for Christians to be. But everywhere we can take the gospel is a good place to take it, as, as long as we are physically safe, reasonably, and, and not in danger of being tested and tempted in sin areas that we know we can't handle. So, but... But we're meant to be reaching out to all kinds of people, even those that we or other people might think were not worthy or not the right people to reach out to. Jesus blows that out of the water again and again, and he does it in this passage. Many people have tried to help this chap. They try to bind him. I mean, if that's helping with chains, but he, he breaks them. They are not adequate. The external is not adequate to deal with the internal. Isn't this another great lesson from the gospel? The gospel transforms us internally in a way that nothing else can externally. We can find great help from external resources, educators, parents, wise people around us, people in the medical profession, in the self-help area, that there are people that can help us with certain things, but there are parts of us that cannot be changed by anything 
anything other than the power of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. There's nothing that cannot be changed that needs to be changed. There are parts of my personality and character that may never change. Perhaps they don't need to. But there are parts of me that need changing, and Jesus can do that. And there's always hope. If Jesus can change this chap, he can change you and anybody you're praying for who currently appears that it, it's impossible for them to be healed and changed. Don't give up praying for people who seem to be in an impossible situation. So to wrap up this part of the chapter, I would say, number one, peculiar people have a place in the kingdom of God. Peculiar people. People who seem strange to us. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your sin history or how you feel about yourself. That's immaterial to whether Jesus can transform you. You are welcome in the Jesus movement, no matter how peculiar you might be or feel or look to others. And that's true of the people we reach out to also. Secondly, we see that Jesus operates in the margins as much as in the main market square. There were times he went preaching in synagogues and in the temple, but there were also times when he went to the odd places, places outside of the normal reach of your average synagogue ruler or rabbi. Christians are people who welcome people into our fellowship, but go out to make new friends out there, outside of our normal boundaries. Who are you reaching out to that scares you a bit? And we also see that here Jesus is never intimidated by any opposing power. The powers that overcame this man and the powers that the people putting the chains on the man were not able to uh, control are not intimidating to Jesus. He's not afraid. It doesn't matter if it's one demon or thousands of demons. None of that can stand in the way of the power of Jesus. So therefore, even though you and I are honestly fearful of many things in life, let's just be honest, when we're close to Jesus, we can tap into his confidence. There's a lot of talk about self-confidence. There's something to that. There's, some, there's a lot of talk about growing and building that. that. That's okay. But in the end, I will always come up against something for which I don't have enough confidence. But if Jesus is with me and he's transforming me, then I can have his confidence in me in the situations where I'm fearful and I can experience his peace and deal with my anxiety in a healthy way, not resorting to unhealthy methods of dealing with my anxiety, with substances, with alcohol, with food or with whatever. Instead, with his strength, you and I can overcome those anxious feelings and situations to still trust him and see his power enable us to live like him in whatever we are called to do. Now let's move on to the second part of the chapter from verse 21. We have the raising of the dead girl and we have the healing of the sick woman. And this is one of those what's called a Markan sandwich. In the Gospel of Mark, more than the other Gospels, you'll see a story sandwiched between another story. A story starts, then another story breaks into that story, and then that story ends. And we have that here where the healing of the girl takes place as a surrounding the healing of the woman here. And, with, and there's a reason why Mark does that. It's not to say it didn't happen like that, but there's a reason perhaps why Mark chooses some of these stories to put into his gospel. Because we see often in these situations parallels and contrasts between the stories. We have, for example, here a parallel and contrast between a woman and a girl. We have a secret approach where the woman comes up to Jesus and just touches his cloak, as opposed to a public approach to Jesus where Jairus comes and says to him, I need your help. 
we have a silent approach where the woman doesn't say anything as opposed to earnest pleading on the behalf of, uh, on the part of Jairus. We have an automatic healing, you could say, just by touching the cloak, as opposed to a healing by command, which Jesus does later in the chapter with the girl. We have the fact that the woman is brought into public awareness after her healing, whereas with the girl, when she's healed, the, the healing, they're, they're so keep it quiet, don't tell anybody. We've got the woman coming to Jesus, and we've got Jesus going to the girl, different directions. We've got direct contact between the woman and Jesus, and we've got indirect contact through an intermediary for the girl, that's through her father. We've got a long illness of 12 years, and then we've got a short illness of the girl who's dying. We've got the fact that Jesus wants the story known with the woman and wants the story hidden with the girl. Lots of interesting parallels and contrasts. I wonder, as you look through the story, can you find some more? It's a good way to do Bible study, by the way, when you see a sandwich like this, to ask yourself, what's similar? What's different? What's the contrast and what's the parallel? And you'll learn a lot from what that, what the message is of a particular passage by doing that kind of Bible study in that kind of way. So let me know if you see anything else from, uh, from this particular passage. Let me give you a couple of other tips about personal Bible study for a passage like this, and then I'll go into the passage in a little bit more detail. Another way to look at a passage in the Gospels in particular is to look at Jesus' words. You will notice that we have a long passage here with a great deal of detail about the woman and about the girl, about Jairus, and very few words actually spoken by Jesus, which is rather interesting, isn't it? He says in this passage, who touched my clothes? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. He says, don't be afraid, just believe. He says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. He says, talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, get up. And, he's, uh, and he says he gave strict orders about it and told them to give her something to eat, although it doesn't actually quote him. So let's say certainly five phrases, you could say maybe six. That's all. Why do we have so little of Jesus's words? Is there something going on there? What do you learn about that? Is there something that Mark wants us to see in what Jesus said? Have a look at those phrases and see if a theme stands out to you. Again, a helpful way sometimes to do a Bible study of a particular passage in the Gospels. And another way you might want to look at a, a passage is through the actions of Jesus. In this particular passage, we see Jesus going to Jairus' home, realizing the power had gone out from him, turning around to ask and seek the person. He kept looking, so he's looking for the woman. He gives words of reassurance to the woman and to Jairus. We'll come back to that. Uh, he excludes all to come into the girl's situation except the three. He questions their right to mourn, the mourners outside. He takes the girl's hand and spoke healing to her. He gives orders and instructions. There may be more. Looking at his actions, again, tell us something about his heart, but also makes us think, why did Mark want us to see this? Anyway, those are some ways to enrich and deepen your Bible study. There are many more, but that'll do for right now. Let's talk a little bit more about what's going on here. We've got Jairus and his daughter, the synagogue leader, possibly the Caponium synagogue. Uh, Jesus is a controversial figure, but Jairus overcomes his fear of controversy because he has a desperate need. Personal tragedy changes our perspective, doesn't it? He falls at the feet of Jesus, just like the demoniac, which is interesting. Synagogue ruler and a demoniac, both falling at his feet. Jesus is an equal opportunity healer. He doesn't care if you're apparently righteous or apparently unrighteous. He loves all people. The girl is dying. The urgency is there, the tension. When there's a delay, um, generally speaking, if we think someone's dying, we're in quite a hurry. Uh, my son, when he was about 10 years old, developed meningococcusemia. We rushed him to the hospital. Uh, 
we rushed. I mean, we didn't hang about. We went straight there and we were very urgent and thankfully so were all the medical team and my son was healed and is still alive today. So I'm thankful for that. But you don't hang around. But there's a delay here while Jesus heals the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Can't she wait? Or at least even after the healing, he calls her, looks for her and then calls her and has a conversation. Couldn't that wait till after the girl is healed? It's a bit urgent. What's going on here? I'm not going to give you my, my thoughts. What do you think as to why Jesus delayed? Interesting. He says, just believe to uh, Jairus. Uh, Don't be afraid. Just believe in verse 36. Uh, that's easy to say to somebody. Uh, harder when it's your own daughter who is dying or even you may believe to be dead. Jesus takes a decisive stand against a lack of hope. If this is a characteristic of a Christian, well, it should be a characteristic of every Christian. I don't know what else it should be. It should be that we are never people who give in to hopelessness, maybe momentarily, but we don't live without hope. We always have hope. It doesn't matter what's going on with, in the world with viruses or politics or anything else. You and I are always people who live with hope because we believe in the God of hope. Not everything's going to turn out how you and I want, but if Jesus is involved, something good is going to happen. And that's what's going on here. Jairus goes with Jesus, a short walk to the house. Capernaum's not a big town. Perhaps the longest walk of Jairus's life, mind you. And he says the child's not dead but asleep and they laugh at him. You know, Christian faith is on some levels always laughable because it doesn't make logical sense. I think it's reasonable. I think the Christian faith is completely reasonable. Not everything about faith makes sense to everybody. And Jesus experienced this mockery, and so will you and I. There's no way around that. He takes her by the hand. You see that? He takes the girl by the hand. He touches her. I, I think it's his words that heal her, but I love the fact that he takes her hand. And as she opens her eyes from her death sleep, the first thing she sees, the first thing that she becomes aware of is, is her hand being held by Jesus. What a beautiful thought. There's, there's power in this story. There's compassion. There's a, there's a kind of beauty, a beauty. Let's talk about the woman suffering from bleeding now who's in the middle of this sandwich. 12 years is a long time. We've got 12 years of suffering and a 12-year-old girl. I doubt that's a coincidence. She spent all she has. There's no NHS. She had to go private and therefore she's gone broke. She's behind him in the crowd, uh, attempting to presumably touch as few people as possible because she's unclean. And if she's unclean and touches people, she makes them unclean. And that really messes up things for them for quite some time. The woman was not only defiled, she defiled anything and anyone she touched, her, as a commentator said. Her, her illness had left her personally and spiritually cut off. What a sad situation to be in. She's heard about Jesus which and coming to him. It implies that she believes he can heal. And therefore, she may risk the touch of other people because she believes there's hope here. I love the part in Mark, uh, in verse 29, where it says she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. In other words, she's not only healed at the particular medical issue, but she's freed from suffering. You know, that's something that happens to us as Christians. And that's one of the reasons why we are we are eager to share our faith with other people because they can be relieved of suffering. And in this world, there'll always be some suffering, but so much of it is avoidable if we live following Jesus Christ. And she is freed from her suffering. What a beautiful thing. Who touched me, Jesus says, as he looks around at the rugby scrum. 
what a hilarious thing to think that anybody would be able to figure that out. But he knows that he, as a holy person, you could say, has made somebody else whole. The holy has made the unholy whole or the unwhole whole by his contact. And he wants to know so that he can reassure this woman. So I would like to suggest that what stands out to me about this, and I think it's central to this sandwiched two stories, is that Jesus is reassuring. Jesus is reassuring because after she's trembling, she's guilty, she's fearful, she comes to him and when it, she realizes she's going to be found out anyway, and he says to her, not you shouldn't have touched me or who else did you touch that you've made unclean or... But he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Freed from your suffering. The word used there is often translated whipping. She has been whipped by this situation. But you're now free. Then the people come and say to Jairus, your daughter's dead. And Jesus overhears it and says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Two phrases of reassurance to the woman and to the father of the girl. Really close to each other. And I think that's at, the, that's at the core of this passage. There's reassurance. Frankly, I need a lot of reassurance. And I like reassurance from my wife or my friends. Or, you know, I like that kind of reassurance. I'm seeing my dentist this afternoon. I'm hoping for reassurance about my teeth when I see him. We'll see. But I like that kind of reassurance. But deep down, it's, it's never enough for the deeper things in my soul, in my spirit, where I feel anxious or worried or fearful. I need the reassurance of Jesus. And so do you. Too many of us walk around in unnecessary guilt and fear about our salvation. I think our salvation is harder to lose than we might think. Certainly we can. And certainly we should be on our guard spiritually. It's really important that we don't get complacent. There's plenty of examples in the scriptures about the dangers of complacency and how sin can harden us. I'm not diminishing that significance. But what I am saying is that Jesus loves you and me so much he wants, to, he wants you to be assured of your salvation, not in fear of it, not walking around anxious about, am I saved, am I not? Have I, uh, what's my sin quota I can get up to and then I, it tips me over the edge and then I, I can't be right with God anymore. This is not how we are designed to be lived. It's not the kind of relationship we're meant to have with Jesus Christ. We're meant to live in hope that our suffering is over, that we are healed from suffering, that the things that seem impossible are now possible with Christ. We don't need to be afraid. We can believe. We have a, a, a savior and a friend and a brother who wants to wrap us up in his arms, who wants to touch and say, I am here. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I just love this this chapter. I think it's amazing. The demoniac he's had an impossible situation. The woman bleeding for 12 years, impossible. The dead girl, impossible. Yet Jesus has the power and the compassion and reassures everybody around him, it's okay because I'm here. And you're okay because Jesus is here with you. I'm okay. Jesus is here with me. And with that reassurance, we can go out into the world and tell everybody about this amazing Jesus and what he's done for us. So to wrap up, let me leave you with a few questions to think about. You might like to discuss in your groups and you may well come up with some other uh, questions you'd like to talk about. That's totally fine. But you might want to ask yourself how Jairus was feeling 
or how the woman was feeling who'd been bleeding for 12 years, why she didn't make herself known, why Jesus wanted to know who touched him. Why did he delay going to Jairus's home? The woman was already healed, right? What's the connection you can see between faith and healing here? How does that work? Why did Jesus only take three disciples into the room with him when he got to the house? And why did Jesus challenge the understandable wailing of the people who were wailing outside? What's really going on there? And what do you see as core to this story and the story of the demoniac? I, I think it's reassurance. At least that's for me. I'm not saying I'm right about that. That's what I see. What do you see? What do you see as the core of chapter 5 or perhaps the core of the story of the demoniac and the core of the sandwiched story of the woman and the girl? Love to know your thoughts. I hope this is helpful. There's so much more we could talk about, but for the sake of time and making this a reasonable length, I will stop there. Next time, we'll go on to look at chapter 7. It's chapter 6 will be preached this weekend in our local locations. Chapter 7 will be our focus for the next class next week. If you have any questions or any thoughts about any of this, do drop me a line, malcolm at malcolmcogs.org. Until the next time, what shall I say? I shall say, don't be afraid, just believe. Take care and God bless.